Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Did you know that part of God's definition of godly manhood is being watchful? Paul closes his letter to the church at Corinth, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. As protectors of our homes, churches, and nation, we must be alert, vigilant, watchful. We must see the dangers heading toward our loved ones. One of the menaces imperiling our daughters today is the explosion of radical gender ideology in the social media, taking teen girls captive, causing them to reject their feminine body and adopt a transgender identity. The goal of this episode is to make you alert to what is happening. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode Number 21 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. The command to be watchful is far more prominent as a requirement of men's discipleship than I had realized. The Greek word Gregorio means be watchful, vigilant, wide awake, alert, on the lookout. Webster also says the word watchful includes being aware of recent developments. Peter commands, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As you often hear me say on this podcast, God created Adam to be the garden's protector, hence on the lookout for approaching danger. Hebrews 13, 17 builds on this idea of being protectors as the spiritual leaders of our homes and churches when it commands those under our care, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Furthermore, as those called to shine the light of God's truth in a dark world, Paul commands believers, you are children of light. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. The dangers in 2022 from which we must protect the daughters of our homes, churches, and land are not marauding Vikings who seek to rape, capture, or kill them, but false ideas that capture and enslave them. Paul described the nature of this fight when he said it is to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. The victims we consider in this episode are not just girls who end up in the trans life, but our wives, daughters, and granddaughters who don't experience the confidence, wholeness, emotional health, and spiritual flourishing that come from embracing God's design of womanhood because Satan's assault upon God's gender design in our culture has made them doubt that design. Our ministry is in the process of publishing a 48-page mini-book to equip parents, youth leaders, and church officers to confront with grace and truth 
the radical gender ideology behind today's explosion of trans identity in teen girls and harming the daughters of our homes, churches, and nation. It is entitled, Our Daughters and the Transgender Craze, Responding with Grace and Truth. The following, the rest of the podcast, is an excerpt from this soon-to-be-released mini-book. Last October, Barna Research released its finding that 30% of millennials now identify as LGBTQ, and this increases to 39% among ages 18 to 24. These numbers are fueled by the recent explosion of teen girls claiming trans identity, often girls raised in Christian homes. These girls reject what the Bible teaches about gender, immerse themselves in trans ideology through trans social media influencers, become more hostile toward their transphobic parents, and insist on finding a doctor who will prescribe puberty blockers and testosterone. This mini-book seeks to give you, first, a picture of what is happening, second, a biblical perspective on this phenomenon, third, a strategy to minimize the likelihood that our own daughters will embrace radical gender ideology, and fourth, practical suggestions for being light to the secular world in the fields of medicine, public education, government policy, and athletics. Our little girls' futures and bodies are being permanently marred by radical gender ideologies increasing influence in our culture. If Christians remain silent, this destruction will continue. The term transgender refers to a girl who thinks she is a boy in a girl's body, or vice versa. It is important to note that a girl who rejects her feminine body, choosing a trans identity because she wants to be a boy, does not necessarily experience sexual or romantic attraction to other females. Being a lesbian and trans are different things. A lesbian does not deny her femininity, dislike her female body, or want to be a man. Being trans is about identity, not sexual attraction. Now, as Christians, we know that they belong together, but trans is not homosexual. Here are some other terms that we need to understand from the glossary of this book. Binary, a view of gender identity based upon biology that recognizes two genders. Non-binary, a view of gender based on one's subjective feelings about themselves. Cisgender, one whose gender identity aligns with his biological gender. Cis women, radical gender ideology's term for women who believe they are women. Gender-affirming care, the medical protocol requiring that all doctors immediately affirm a child's self-diagnosis of having a wrongly gendered body and help the child medically transition to the opposite sex. Gender identity, how one views himself as male, female, or other. Transgender identity does not imply anything about sexual orientation. Gender dysphoria, emotional turmoil resulting from a lack of congruity between a person's gender identity and biological sex. Gender nonconforming, politically correct term for those claiming transgender identity. Love, giving to another what helps him or her flourish according to the way God designed them. 
puberty blockers, chemicals given to children approaching adolescence that block their body's sexual development by shutting down part of the pituitary gland. Sex assigned at birth, extreme radical gender ideologies term for biological sex. Transgender or trans, designating a person whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond to that person's biological sex. And finally, transitioning. That means using puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, breast or genital surgery to try to change the body into the opposite sex. In 2007, the U.S. had one pediatric gender clinic. As of this writing, there are over 300. Planned Parenthood gives out testosterone on a first visit in some states giving it to minors. Planned Parenthood also gives testosterone to 15-year-old girls on their own recognizance. They don't even need a parental note. Kaiser dispenses it, as do other HMOs. So for today's teens, whether they have a history of childhood gender dysphoria or not, testosterone is readily available. In some states, double mastectomy is readily available without parental approval or even a therapist's note being required. Our Lord would never have closed his heart to what is happening to the daughters of our homes, our churches, and our nation. To think biblically about the transgender movement, it's valuable to consider three different groups. First, transgender adults who exhibited childhood gender dysphoria. That's sort of the classic transgender person. Second, teen girls who never experienced childhood gender dysphoria, but as teens experience rapid onset gender dysphoria. And third, radical gender ideology activists. They are three very different groups. They have some things in common, but they're very different. We'll look at the first one today. Transgender adults who did have childhood gender dysphoria. Here's the situation. Adult gender dysphoria, that is severe discomfort in one's biological sex, is real and very disorienting. The classic presentation of gender dysphoria has been exceedingly rare, typically afflicting 0.01% of the population, or 1 in 10,000, and overwhelmingly males. This phenomenon typically began in early childhood. Two to four-year-old little boys saying, No, Mommy, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. These boys were insistent, consistent, and persistent that they were in the wrong body. For the nearly 100-year history of diagnosing gender dysphoria, these little kids were what psychologists and pediatricians were concerned with. The condition was called gender identity disorder by the American Psychiatric Association until 2013 when it was changed to gender dysphoria because of the influence of radical gender ideology on the APA. If this population of children experiencing gender dysphoria is left alone, over 70% of these kids typically outgrow gender dysphoria on their own. Some of the 70% would end up gay men and others heterosexual men. The remaining 30% were known as transgender. 
This group of gender dysphoric people has historically not been politically inclined, nor have they insisted that they are somehow really women. Their goal in hormonal treatments or gender-changing surgery isn't so much to fool others as it is to achieve a comfort level with themselves. As Christians, we know this is a mistake, but we do need to know that most transgender adults in this population, having had gender dysphoria as a kid, have no desire to compel others to use a different pronoun for them or to force radical gender ideology upon the sports world. It is unfair and incorrect to automatically view as radical activists all those who identify as transgender. What is a biblical perspective on this phenomenon? Well, Gender is not a social construct. The first mention of gender in the Bible occurs with the very first mention of humanity itself. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This means that our maleness or femaleness is not incidental to our humanness. God does not make us into generic humanity that he later differentiated into two different sexes. From the start, we are male or female. Every cell in our body is stamped XX or XY. God intentionally designed male and female differently so that in the marriage union they contribute what is lacking in the other. In a glorious way, this completion of each other shows God to the world. The excruciating dilemma of transgender adults who feel like their body doesn't match their sense of who they are is just one manifestation of the way that our race's fall into sin has fractured us all. Precious trans human beings are made in the priceless image of God and deserve enormous dignity and respect for that reason. Those who experience gender dysphoria, or same-sex attraction for that matter, are experiencing the same moral disease that afflicts us all, sin. As Christ followers, we are given the example of Jesus, known as the friend of tax collectors and sinners, to be an unambiguous picture of how we should treat those ensnared in the LGBTQ life. Consider Jesus' dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee. We read, A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So let's consider the example of Jesus. First, he not only welcomed her into his presence, he allowed this prostitute to touch his physical body. Letting her hair down in public to use it to wash his feet was itself a scandalous act. Touching his body and washing his feet was a non-sexual act since it was public. Nevertheless, it was also an intimate act. Jesus allowed closeness to him by this woman, despite her sexual brokenness. Then Jesus defended her when her dignity was assaulted by the Pharisee. 
From Jesus' example, here are some practical suggestions for responding to gay or trans friends and relatives. Number one, welcome them into your presence. Number two, take the initiative to speak to them. Three, choose to befriend them. Four, seek ways to affirm their value as human beings. Five, Defend them from verbal assault upon their dignity, from bullying or any other harm. Sixth, respect their right to call themselves trans, but affirm their birth gender if you have the chance. I respect your right to pursue a trans path, but I liked you a lot back when you said you were a female. Seventh, if it comes up, don't deny your convictions about God's gender design but realize being trans is usually a symptom of a deeper issue. Their greatest need is to know Jesus, so stay focused on introducing them to him. But there is a place for discerning love, lest what I just said be interpreted as blindly accepting this behavior and approving it. Discerning love means that our call to love trans people does not mean being naive about the place that the transgender movement has in the current spiritual battle in our culture. The right to determine one's own sexual identity is the epitome of rebellion against our creator. Furthermore, as Carl Truman points out, the normalization of transgenderism reflects a long history in Western thought of attempting to define the self subjectively, autonomously, apart from God and objective reality, demanding that others conform to the self we have made. We also see that transgenderism is, at its core, an assault on God because it is an assault on the way God has chosen to image himself among humans, as we saw two weeks ago, through the creation of two distinct genders differently to complete or complement one another. So as we've seen, for the nearly 100-year history of treating gender dysphoria, the term has referred to mostly little boys, 70% of whom will outgrow it, with the remaining becoming either trans or gay as they reach adulthood. But in the last decade, a period that corresponds to the explosion of social media influence upon teen girls, a completely different population has begun to lead all categories of those claiming to have the wrong bodies. Teen girls. This is a population that never before in history had gender dysphoria in any significant numbers. In fact, before 2007, there was no scientific literature extant on teen girls having gender dysphoria at all. Next week, we will examine this phenomenon. We began this episode with the call to be watchful, to be alert, to be awake, I wanted to personally ask you to help our ministry wake up the Christian community to what is happening to the daughters and granddaughters of our homes, churches, and nation. Be sure to listen to the next two podcasts and look for the link to this 48-page mini-book that can help you spread the word once it is released. God forbid that we, the men of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, be asleep as Satan's attack on our daughters and granddaughters destroys their confidence in God's design of their gender 
and of themselves. To summarize this episode, ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. When God appointed men to the task of protecting their wives, children, and world by making him the protector, Shamar, God knew that would mean more than protecting them from physical harm, but protecting them for the lies of the enemy. Part of being Christians, and especially Christian men, is being watchful, alert, and awake to dangers flooding into our loved ones' lives that can lead them astray. One of these ideologies attacks God's design of humankind as the loving union of male and female, created differently to complete each other. As we have been seeing all month in this series, Gloriously Feminine, this attack harms our girls at the very root of their soul, their identity, their differences from men, and God's call to godly womanhood. The mini-book, Our Daughters and the Transgender Craze, identifies three different groups in this movement that require different responses. Today, we examine the first, those with traditional gender dysphoria, mostly males who have been just 0.01% of the population. These little boys were insistent, consistent, and persistent that they were in the wrong body. We observed that the starting point for a Christian response to those in the LGBTQ life is grace identifying seven ways to be like Jesus in our treatment of friends, neighbors, and family members in this life. These again were, first, welcome them into your presence, which Jesus did. Two, take the initiative to speak to them. We didn't see that in the woman at Simon's house, but we did the woman at the well. Third, choose to befriend them. Fourth, seek to affirm them as precious human beings. Fifth, protect them from bullying. Sixth, respect their right to call themselves trans, but affirm their birth gender if you can. Seventh, stay focused on introducing them to Jesus. Finally, I appeal to each of you to help us awaken the Christian community to what is happening to our girls today. For further prayerful thought, number one, describe what the classic cases of gender dysphoria looked like over the past 100 years. See your show notes for additional questions. This week's past series highlight is examining God's design of the heart passions that drive men. This series begins Season 1, Episode 41, August 16th, 2020, and goes through Season 1, Episode 47, September 27th, 2020. The topics are the hunger for approval, a king to honor, the hunger for impact, a sphere to impact, called to be protectors and warriors, a battle to fight, God's design for fulfilling romance, a beauty to love, strategic friendship, a brother to labor and fight beside, impact that outlives them, a heritage to pass on, and finally, responding to toxic masculinity. That's again, Season 1, Episode 41, beginning with August 16th, 2020, and ending with September 27th, 2020. 
Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, our series, Gloriously Feminine, continues by examining the radical transformation of the transgender population since 2012. Until then, as we just saw, the transgender population was 0.01%, 1 in 10,000, and it was almost entirely males, and consisted of those who experienced gender dysphoria from the age of four, usually. But since 2012, transgenderism has exploded among teen girls. Next week, we'll look at why. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about it, as together we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well. <laughs>